This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. As Tyler said, the scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. horror of people without food, without hope. Water consumption is a serious problem because as the world gets increasingly crowded, we're also getting increasingly thirsty. The damage here along the Gulf Coast is catastrophic. We're following this earthquake in Haiti, a 7.0 magnitude. An estimated 30 million people worldwide are living in modern-day slavery. The CDC is raising its alert to the highest level as it monitors the spreading virus. A quarter of all young children still don't get enough to eat. Poverty and disaster are everywhere, and the temptation is to give in to despair. But we have hope. God is at work in the world, and we trust that God will make things right. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, we believe we have a part to play in God's answer to that prayer. We join God in God's mission to make things right in our broken world. We are Covenant World Relief. Covenant World Relief is the Covenant Church at work in the world. We believe the church is at its best when it serves the most vulnerable, which is why Covenant World Relief operates in more than 20 countries and works with more than 60 projects. Typically, two-thirds of Covenant World Relief projects are community development, and one-third are disaster relief. Generous Covenanters donate more than $1.5 million per year to Covenant World Relief. We don't just fly in and fly out when disaster strikes. Covenant World Relief has active partnerships on five continents in more than 20 countries so we can respond quickly to disasters. Our lasting relationships with local grassroots organizations enable us to engage in transformational community development in the most effective and powerful ways. Covenant World Relief is committed to fiscal responsibility and measurable outcomes. 
we concentrate on projects that break cycles of poverty and injustice from generation to generation. Covenant World Relief is a partner in transformation with God and God's people. Won't you join us? Well, I am happy to say that we are partners uh, with Covenant World Relief. They are a part of our uh, annual mission giving. It's a tremendous organization. And really, um, they go uh, where often we cannot go. And they're there to uh, represent Christ and to to bring hope in a way that brings transformation and empowerment uh, to people uh, when they're most in need. You know, this last year, as we have been traveling down the Vitality Pathway together, and we have been learning more and more of what it means to be a healthy missional church. Healthy meaning pursuing Christ. Missional meaning pursuing Christ's priorities in the world. We learned that there are ten markers of a healthy missional church. And and we want to grow into each of those. We want to, to learn how to more fully express those uh, as a congregation. And one of those markers is global perspective and engagement. Uh, we want to have a, a global perspective and engagement early on in the, the life of the Covenant Church because those early uh, founders of our denomination had a global perspective and a desire for engagement. They sent missionaries to Alaska. And uh, those missionaries worked with native peoples and churches were formed. And decades later, you know what happened? Those churches in western Alaska had a vision, right? Vision. And it was to to create churches in the Anchorage area and and in the populated areas of Alaska. And, And our church is a direct result of that. And because we have a history in our denomination of global perspective and engagement, the church came to Alaska, and this church was planted as a result of that initial movement some 20 years ago. So we believe in that, we're growing in that, and we're learning more and more about what that means. And this morning, we are privileged uh, to have the man who helps lead our denomination in this area. His name is David Hughesby. David, come up, if you would. David is the director of Covenant World Relief. He guides and directs our denomination as we respond to opportunities uh, to help transform whole communities um, and bring hope uh, in the midst of great, great challenge and adversity. And so, David, he was here with us this week. He met with our staff. Uh, He is just dynamic. He has great things to teach us. And we are looking forward to what you have to share with us this morning. So let's give a community covenant welcome to David Hughesby. Wow. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. It's been a long time, but if you've been a part of the church for a long time, you may see a somewhat familiar face. Because in my previous life, um, my wife and I were long-term missionaries with the Covenant Church first in Japan, and then we were the regional coordinators for Asia. And during that time, almost from the beginning of this church, you have been, you were supporting us in a very generous way, but not just financially. My wife and I organized the first all-Asia missionary retreat. It was quite a challenge, but it was a team from this church 
that came all the way to Thailand to take care of the kids during that um, retreat. I, I don't know how many years ago, but that was a long time ago. But we are thankful for the way that Community Covenant has been a part of the mission and ministry of the Covenant Church in many ways. I'm an, I'm an immigrant to the denomination. I, I married into it 32 years ago. I didn't know anything about the Covenant Church. You know where I first heard about the Covenant Church? In a little village in western Alaska called Imanak. There was a radio station called KICY. That was the first time I heard of the Covenant Church. <laughs> and then eventually, in my at Seattle Pacific University, I met some people, one of which became my wife, and she was part of Newport Covenant Church. The rest is history. Um, during our time as missionaries... I learned that this is a this is a church that exists for mission. We're not existing for one particular theological perspective. We're not existing for one kind of uh, ethnic group. We're not existing because we all agree on everything. We exist for mission. And I pray that we never lose that. Covenant World Relief is just one part of that. And I'm thankful for Community Covenants Church's uh, support for Covenant World Relief over the years. Right now in the world, there is so much turmoil. It's almost, it's just overwhelming. You know, someone who's involved in this day in and day out, I have to tell you, I'm tempted sometimes just to close my ears when I'm hearing certain things because I don't want to hear all this bad stuff going on. But that's a temptation that I can't yield to. We need to keep our ears open and we need to keep our eyes open. And later today, we're going to really talk about this, this issue of vision. But right now in the world, we have been focusing, particularly this year, there's been an emphasis among children in uh, the Christian formation classes in covenant churches on refugees. There's some information in the back that you can see. But, you know, with all of the, with all of the news about ISIS, with all of the news about Nepal... These are very terrible situations. There are many other parts of the world where we are in crisis with refugees. The Central African Republic that many people don't even know exists is a country that's been in civil war now for two years. And there are refugees going into Congo. And we are a part of that work. But you won't read about it very much in the newspapers. You'll have to somehow find out through... Facebook of Covenant World Relief or newsletter, but there is work going on. In South Sudan, there's a large covenant church there, 20,000 people, but they've been scattered by the civil war. The leadership is now in Ethiopia. If you, if you follow the covenant newswire, by the way, there is a, there's something that you can subscribe to that they give news for, for churches, um, for international mission. And there was a story, uh, like a month ago about What's going on with all the refugees in South Sudan? This is the postcard for the refugee uh, work that we're doing. Disasters are obviously a, a, a significant part of what we do. Many people forget that um, when disasters happen, they don't, people don't just get over it in a few weeks. When disasters happen, recovery takes a long time, especially when it's a serious disaster. Do you know the, 
the tsunami of South Asia that happened in 2004 in December. It's more than 10 years ago. They're still recovering. You know, in our own country, in, in the south, southern part of the U.S., after Hurricane Katrina in August of 2005, we're still recovering. My wife and I lived in Japan for almost 25 years, so it was quite a shock in, in March 11th of 2011 when the earthquake followed by the tsunami destroyed so much of the northeast coast. You never hear about it here. In Japan, it's still almost daily news. There are still tens of thousands of people who are living in these little temporary shelters with no hope. They're wondering what's going to happen. Fortunately, we have a sister denomination there, the Japan Covenant Church, and, we have, and they have networks, and we're still working in the northeast part of Japan. When it comes to disaster, though, we, our hope is that, yes, when the disaster happens, like the Nepal earthquake, I should say earthquakes, if you probably heard that there were really two very large earthquakes that, that created tremendous destruction, killed many people, the period of relief is that period when we just try to help people stay alive. We try to help people um, be able to recover some sense of stability in their lives. And that's what's happening right now. They're still in a period of relief. We're hoping that that will gradually transition into a period of recovery. And then, beyond that, we don't want to just think about anybody, including ourselves, just reaching a status quo when we just coast. We want to continue to work with people and communities so that they continue to grow spiritually, economically, socially, physically. I'm thankful that Covenant World Relief has been around for more than 60 years. We've been able to develop a lot of solid partnerships. And so that we have groups around the world that are really good at what they're doing. And we get to then connect with them. And I... And you're going to hear a little bit later about some of these groups that this church is even connected to. In the past year, because of the support of, of churches like Community Covenant and individuals, we've been able to be involved in 41 community development projects in 23 countries and 23 disaster relief projects in 15 countries. We do that with a staff of two why? A lot of reasons. <laughs> One is that we're part of this, this ministry, larger ministry called the Evangelical Covenant Church. So we have an office in Chicago at the headquarters of the Evangelical Covenant Church. The video that you just saw, there's no way that this staff of two is going to put together that video. We have a, we have a communications department. We have a finance department to receive the donations. We have, uh, our communication partner also helps us with our literature. We have a world mission department, which I was a part of for most of my adult life. And we have missionaries around the world that we are working with. I've heard that this church supports, uh, Lissandro and Patti Restrepo. And they're work, we're working still very closely with them in Oaxaca as they work with the Fuentes Libres and with an organ, a newer organization called Mayem. So it's working together and then with local partners that are already there, like Fuentes Libras, who are already capable of doing great work. So thank you for being a part of this. It's an exciting thing. And if I'm going to say right now, 
that while we're transitioning into, uh, when we start talking about our passage this morning, if you want to quietly take out your cell phone, make sure it's still turned off, go to Facebook, put in Covenant World Relief, click like. (laughs) There's so much that is going on. If you do that, you will be able to see. In fact, the post this morning is something about me being happy to be at Community Covenant Church in in Eagle River, Alaska. (laughs) That's I think that's the most recent post. (laughs) Um, There are other ways to stay connected, and if you go to the table in the back, please take whatever materials you find there. I believe that um, kind of part of our natural human condition, you can call it our sinful nature, is to keep our ears closed and our eyes closed. It's not an intentional thing, but it makes life a lot easier when we can keep a narrow focus, when we can just shut out the rest of the world. But I believe that when we talk about transformation, sometimes we just think about it, poor people living overseas. I think transformation is something that God is doing in all of us, or should be doing. We should have it, have it happen in all of us. And part of that transformation is healing our vision impairment. I believe that we have, we are not able to see the world the way God sees the world because of many things that get in the way. And today, we, we're going to talk a little bit about this passage um, where we see one individual who gets a whole new start in life as Jesus opens his eyes. Now, it's a, it's a story that if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this, read this passage many times. I know I did. But the setting is interesting because they're, they're, uh, they're in Jericho, which if you've been to that part of the Middle East, you know Jericho is pretty close to Jerusalem. It's just a long uphill journey to get to Jerusalem, and they're on their way. And there's a large crowd, a lot of followers of Jesus who are just really excited that they are connected to this amazing Jesus. And so as they're they're walking along the road, all of a sudden there's a cry from a blind beggar sitting by the side of the road. And his It's interesting that in this passage, as short as it is, there are only two people named, right? Jesus, of course, and then Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Nobody else is named. Remember that. It's very important. So this blind beggar who was nameless to those walking by, in fact, he was invisible. In fact, he was seen as an annoyance or a nuisance, almost like a human piece of trash sitting by the side of the road begging, crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's a voice of desperation. What was the response of the followers of Jesus? It's a very sad thing. But I think, before we jump too quickly to criticize the followers of Jesus, I see myself as being one of those people. I see myself as as missing people along the way, as not seeing people as I go through my life. And so, as he's crying out, they're rebuking him, telling him to be quiet, 
But he yells out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then we have Jesus who hears him. Now when Jesus hears him, Jesus stops and says, call him. So they called the blind man. And they now they say, cheer up. A minute ago they were telling him to shut up, right? But now they're saying, cheer up. Why? Well, Jesus is noticing you. It's your lucky day. But that's not the way it really is. Jesus is noticing him because that's what God does. God notices people all over the world who are hurting. We may not be hearing about what's going on in Central African Republic, but God knows everything that's going on. He knows about every life in Central African Republic and cares deeply for those people. So they say, cheer up, on your feet. So that Bartimaeus comes to Jesus. And then, let's stop and think for a minute. We have... We're in the 10th chapter of Mark, which means we're getting to the latter part of Jesus' life on earth. And he's headed towards Jerusalem. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. It's not rhetorical, so you have to, that means somebody has to answer. You know, in some parts of the world, you're, you, you do these dialogues, but in the U.S., we're not used to dialogues, so sometimes people just stare at me. Um, why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Pardon? To be crucified. He was going to give his life. This is what it was all about. His main purpose for coming to this earth was to give himself as a sacrifice. So on his mind, as he's walking from Jericho to Jerusalem, is he is about to be humiliated. He's about to be falsely arrested. He's about to be crucified and take upon the sin of all the world. All the sin, all the evil, all the shame. Take it upon himself. Now I gotta believe that he was, had a lot on his mind. He had a heavy heart. And yet in the midst of that, he hears one blind beggar by the side of the road crying out to him. And he stops and says, call him. So that when he comes to Jesus, then Jesus, we're talking the Son of God, the Messiah, asks him a question. It's almost, in some ways, it's almost a ridiculous question, isn't it? He says, what is it you want me to do for you? But if we really think about it, do you realize Jesus was, was showing a tremendous amount of love and respect in that question? A lot of times when we look at the problems of the world, especially as Westerners, we look out and we just figure out what's wrong and we, we know what to do and we just want to fix people. But Jesus showed respect to Bartimaeus by asking him, what is it you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus, the blind man, said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Now, I wish we had a a video replay, but we don't. But we we can imagine somebody who has been humiliating himself by the side of the road, because of his blindness, having to cry out to people, please give me something. There were no social safety nets at that time. The only way he could survive was to humiliate himself and beg. And now Jesus, in an instant, has given him a whole new start. His eyes are open. Can you imagine the scene? 
the joy. He now can go out and get a job. He can earn a living. He can take care of himself, his family. He can, he can participate in the community. And the interesting thing is it says, Jesus says, go. But what does he do? He followed Jesus down along the road. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm sticking with this guy. He changed my life. He gave me a whole new beginning. This was an eye-opening experience, literally, for Bartimaeus. He now sees. I believe that we have a condition that is, you could call blindness or vision impairment, but we need Jesus. We need the desperation of Bartimaeus. I think sometimes we, we don't even know that we don't know, or we don't, we don't know that we can't see. But Bartimaeus knew it, and he cried out, and he was persistent, and Jesus healed him. In my life, I can see many times where I've, I've known I've been blind and God has had to deal with me. And, and I know that I'm still missing things. But there's one particular instance when my wife and I were serving as the directors of the Odawara Christian Center in Japan. And we were working with local believers in a, a, a ministry to homeless people. And, and it was very early on. And uh, they introduced me to some homeless men on the first trip, actually where we were coming back. It was late in the evening. I thought they were just going to drop me off at my place. But they stopped uh, just 100 yards down the road, underneath the tra- train tracks, and showed me, introduced me to five men. I thought, these guys live here? I've been, I live right down the street, and I have missed it? I've been blind? I haven't seen these people? Yeah, they've been here a long time. Most people don't notice them. So one of the men, Mr. Hayashi, we started talking. I had a flyer. We often um, would uh, pass out flyers, the informational. This was an inv- invitation to come to the Christmas Eve service that would happen in about a month. And he took and he started laughing. He said, you mean someone like me would be welcome in your church? I said, absolutely, please come. Well, the next week I went. <coughs> Excuse me. The next week I went, he said, are you sure it's okay? The next week, are you sure? I kept saying, yes, please come. December 24th, 7 o'clock. Well, finally that day came. The church was packed. And granted, we're in a little... There's a church in the bottom of our building, a Japanese covenant church. And uh, there's about 100 people that can squeeze into it. That's, That's all we can get in. And it was full, but there was no Mr. Hayashi. So I went out on the street and looked down the street, and there he was. And I thought, great, he's coming. And I went, oh, no, because he was staggering. And I thought, ah. Oh. I realized right away, you know, all those questions, are you sure it's okay? He was so convinced that he was going to be rejected that he needed some courage to come to church. Kind of ironic, isn't it? But he came, and sure enough, we had a member of the church who was a policeman. And when I brought him in, the service was just getting started. Our Japanese pastor was up in front. The policeman said, that man cannot come. He's intoxicated. I said, well, I understand, but you need to understand, I can't tell you the whole story, but I've been telling him that he'd be welcome. So please let him come in. So we went, we squeezed in in the back, but Mr. Hayashi kept making noises, um, mumbling. He was quite intoxicated. 
And the pastor, this fine, young, gifted, young Japanese man, was up there. And you know Japanese culture is very respect-oriented, very vertical. And Mr. Hayashi yells out, Which loosely translated means, That guy's up, up there stinks. <laughs> There's a kind of a gasp. In the, no one's ever heard that in church before. But then the policeman came over, and I said, no, no, well, we'll keep him quiet. And I said, Mr. Hashi, please keep quiet. He said, okay. He wasn't really quiet, but about 15 minutes before the end of the service, he said, I've got to go. And he got up and left. And it was because I think he was physically not feeling well. But I thanked him for coming, and he left. Then after the service, I was outside and greeting people. And as people came out, I was apologizing for the disruption. But then there was a group of five that were from our Alcoholics Anonymous group that met in our building. First time they'd ever come to a church gathering. They were beaming. They said, thank you so much for inviting us. This was a wonderful service. And I said, well, thanks for coming. And I said, I apologize for my friend who was being so disruptive. Then the leader of the group visibly changed his expression and preached a four-word sermon to me that I will never forget. In irritation, he said, what are you apologizing about? And then he said the words, he's one of us. He's one of us. He's one of us. Those words went in my head and just knocked me over. I thought... Wow. Why does it take people from the Alcoholics Anonymous group to be able to recognize that? Who do the rest of us think we are? To somehow think he's not one of us. Somehow think that Jesus didn't come for him. Somehow think that God loves us because we have a home and we have a job and he doesn't. He's one of us. Later, my wife and I became the regional coordinators for Asia and and everywhere I'd go, there were Sometimes very different cultures, very different languages, very different religions. But as I looked at people, it was like the Spirit of God in my head would say, He's one of us. She's one of us. They're part of us. You know, there's a story that we don't have time to go into this morning, but it's very a famous story in Luke chapter 10, where a young man comes to Jesus, a scholar, and says, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, again, he's a master at everything he does. He's the son of God. But he turns it back, the question back on the young man and says, you tell me. And so the guy comes back with this answer. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, basically, you got it. Do it and you will live. And that could have been the end of the story. Except, Scripture says, wanting to justify himself, the man asks the question. What's the question? Who is my neighbor? Do you realize this changed everything? This one question. Thanks to this man's confusion and lack of understanding, we get this great uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. It wouldn't have come without this guy. But then Jesus comes through with this amazing story where the hero turns out to be someone who is despised and looked down upon. Because the priest and the Levite, you remember, there was a wounded man on the road to Jericho, and the priest and the Levite pass him by, justifying 
for whatever reason. And then spontaneously, the Samaritan, the one who is despised and looked down upon, is the one who responds, takes him to an inn, uses his own money to pay. And then he even says, I'm going to come back, and if there are any other expenses, I'll cover them. This is ridiculous. No financial advisor would ever advise us. It's like giving someone your credit card and say you can max, max it out. But you see, by asking who is my neighbor, that young man was basically asking Jesus permission to build fences, to draw lines, to make barriers, to consider some people in and some people out and say, I only have to worry about those who are in. And Jesus is saying, you don't get it. In the kingdom, things are different. Love is outrageous. Whosoever will may come. This whole idea of neighbor, a very expanded view that goes beyond people who look like us, act like us, live near us, now becomes expanded more broadly to the whole world. And being a part of Covenant World Relief has allowed me to meet people who really understand this and have helped me to understand neighbor a lot better. This young man, apparently, was he, was he here last? Was it last summer? Or, yeah. Pastor Simon Kamau from the Evangelical Covenant Church of Kenya. He, um, he's an amazing guy. There's a story five years ago. No, it's six, almost six now. He invited, or he didn't invite, he, at his church, 240 uh, refugees from the eastern part of Congo showed up. Now, if, have some of you been to Kitengela? Some of you are going, I'm sure. Yeah, there's somebody who's been. And I think some of you are going. The original church was this little cinder block church that barely sat 50 people. And so these people show up. And so it's kind of ridiculous because it's a very poor church. There's no resources. 240 refugees show up. What's Simon's response? Welcome. You're part of us. They don't have legal papers. There's all these other issues. What are they gonna, how are they going to take care of them? And it's amazing. Now, six years later, what has happened? Because there's been a lot of partnership. Covenant World Relief has been a part of it. And we continue to be a part of the work that's going on. But now the church is somewhere around five to 600. And it's mostly Congolese refugees. <laughs> you know the sad story is? Some of the Kenyans who were in the church couldn't handle that. <laughs> so they left. Not all of them. There's still some there. But unfortunately, some just said, I'm not going to be in a church with a bunch of Congolese. These people, had, many of them had walked, hitched rides, all the way from eastern Congo to Nairobi. Many died along the way. Simon was the one that said, you're part of us, welcome. I just came back last week from Mexico, and I visited uh, three of our partners there, one of them in Monterrey called the Family Foundation, or Fundafam in Spanish. They're at the base of these the two hills, Dos Cerros, that are uh, notorious for having drug cartels, violence, and it got pretty bad starting about four or five years ago. In fact, covenant missionaries had to leave because of security. 
And other organizations and businesses shuttered their places and just left because it was too dangerous. But Fundafam looked up to the hills basically and said, you're part of us. And they continue to work with people in the community, particularly youth and mothers. But they work in the area of peacemaking, conflict resolution. They do Bible studies. They do exercise. They do all kinds of things, which is bringing about change in a community that nobody else wanted to be in. They basically welcomed the people in. And now the foundation is thriving because they understand this issue of neighbor. Finally, in Kyrgyzstan, there is a, a young man named Janishbek. Comes from a Muslim family, but he became a believer. Virtually everybody in the village, um, everyone is a, is a Muslim, almost. It's like 99.8%. And he's a believer. He comes from a family that has done fairly well. Uh, they have actually more land than most. They have more animals than most. And he looked out on his community and, and said, it saw the poverty, saw the unemployment, and said, you know what? We need to work together. And so he began, a, out of his own resources, an animal loan project where he would loan out five sheep or five goats for a period of 18 months under contract. And then the people would, at the end of that time, return those animals and get to keep all the young that were born. Well, we had a covenant missionary working there. Um, we, at that time, I was serving as the Asia coordinator. We contacted this organization I didn't know well called Covenant World Relief. And we expanded the project. And it now has expanded to seven villages. Janish Beck shocked the community because they knew he was a follower of Jesus. And you see in that community and in many communities like that around the world, people are raised to hate Christians. In fact, they're told many things. Christians are cannibals. Later on, we're going to be doing a ceremony that pe people see as a cannibalistic ceremony because we're partaking of the, the, the body and blood of Jesus. But you know, the sadder part of the story is in many parts of the world, including ours, Christians are often taught to hate Muslims. And so we have this constant animosity. John Ishbek, living among Muslims said, you know what? We're going to love you. <laughs> and he started this program. And these people were flabbergasted. You know, today, Janish Beck is the mayor of three of the villages that are right close together, which everyone said that would be an impossibility. How could a Christian be elected mayor? And then he's also been elected to the national diet as a representative because they saw a man with integrity, a man who loved them and cared for them. Why? Because he understands the concept of neighbor. Even a young man, a Muslim man who was in a wheelchair that everyone else had given up on, John Ishbek made him one of the coordinators for his village. I think one of the questions that I have to continue to ask myself that we need to keep to asking ourselves is when we think about neighborhood, what are our boundaries? How big is our neighborhood? And I think when we recognize that we have kind of closed things in a bit, we need to be like Bartimaeus. He's not someone to be pitied. He's someone that we need to, to see as a mentor. Because you see, he recognized his blindness 
And in his desperation, he cries out to Jesus, Have mercy on me. And this morning in closing, that's the prayer that I invite us to pray, is for Jesus to open our eyes. Help us to see in Eagle River, in Anchorage, throughout Alaska, throughout the U.S., and yes, even the other side of the world, that God would help us to see our neighbor and care for our neighbor in the way that he loves and cares for them. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you've poured this amazing good news into us through your grace. You've accepted us as as we are. Father, we're thankful that this grace is available to all. We do cry out to you now in desperation. Have mercy on us. Open our eyes. Help us to see people that we miss every day. Help us to see um, people in our neighborhood, at work, at school, in our communities. Help us to see people that we can't, that aren't even right in front of us, but they are in other parts of the state, in the country, and around the world. Thank you, God, that we have the privilege of participating with you in your transforming mission in this world. I pray a blessing on Community Covenant and everyone here, and thankful that we can go from this place and be your servants caring for those who are hurting and in need. In Jesus' name, amen.